Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Angela Fryermuth. And I'm Lauren Like. Today we have three special guests from the Great Lakes and Ohio River Division, also known as LRD, joining us to tell us more about how they are recognizing agents of the revolution. With us today are Major General Robert Whittle, LRD Commander, Mr. Stephen Durrett, LRD Programs Director, and Mr. Joseph Savage, LRD Regional Business Director. Thank you all for joining us here today. Hey, thanks, Angie. Thanks, Lauren. Great to be with you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. We're really excited to be here. Yes, looking forward to the discussion today. Great. Thank you. And so we always like to start our episodes off by getting to know our guests. Major General Whittle, can you tell us a little bit more about your division? Where is LRD located, and what is your mission within the Corps? Hey, Lauren, thanks. It's called the Great Lakes and Ohio River Division. So in this division, the name really reveals a lot about what we do. So we actually have seven districts. That's the most districts that any division has in the Corps. And three of them are our Great Lakes districts, that's Chicago, Detroit, and Buffalo. Uh, they cover the Great Lakes watershed, and then the other four along the Ohio River, and that goes from Nashville to Louisville to Huntington and on to Pittsburgh, and that covers the Ohio River. And then we also have a pretty large military program that Louisville District runs as well. And of course, we do a lot of uh, flood risk management. We have a large O&M program, and, uh, and I'd like to, to say we have a pretty good governance process and frankly, that, what that allows us to do is really be the test bed for this USACE revolution. Uh, things run pretty efficiently and smoothly in LRD. A couple of years ago, when General Seminite started the revolution, took it upon ourselves to say, hey, why don't we become agents of the revolution and just do everything we can to develop best practices and come up with ideas and uh, assist in this process. That is great. We uh, we really appreciate you all coming and talking to us today. I know um, Lauren and I were recently in a meeting, and when we heard uh, you guys uh, developed Agents of the Revolution, we said, yes, we have to talk to them um, and find out more about this. Um, and so you mentioned a little bit about, um, you know, LRD being a great test bed for some of this revolutionized efforts. And you did briefly mention the Agents of the Revolution and how it started back with General Semnite. But can you tell us a little bit more about it and why you guys felt like it was a really good time to bring the Agents of a Revolution to light? When we had our Strategic Leaders Conference back in August, uh, we were going over some of our initiatives. And, and we're going to go into some more detail later in the podcast about what those are. But as we were going through them, we really kind of realized we need to reward our teammates that are coming up with some of these great revolutionary ideas. So we came up with this Agents of the Revolution Award. We've only given out a half dozen of these awards so far. And what we're really looking for is anyone who has come up with a revolutionary idea and moved it forward. We have a similar thing where you know, Joe Savage started deputizing Agents of the Revolution. In fact, I'll just go to Joe real quick and he'll talk about you know, these simple stickers uh, that he's been handing out. Hey, sir, thanks. It, you know, when, when, you're, when you want to make significant change in an organization, you know, it all, it all starts with people. You've got wonderful ideas. You've got wonderful processes, milestones, dates, and, and things that we're after. But when General Little 
talked about how we make a meaningful change in the organization. He pointed to the fact that what we've got to do is we've got to connect with people. And so this agent of the revolution idea and rewarding that kind of behavior to create some excitement and enthusiasm and modeling the kind of uh, approach that we want from others is what this was all about. A really talented young lady in our business management division named Michelle Redman shows up probably the next week uh, with this handful of stickers. I hadn't played with stickers since, you know, we had sticker books and we were trading them back in the day, you know. But I, I've got one of the most precious stickers that you can find, and it's this little deputy badge, and it says, I am deputized now, and I am part of the revolution team. Just as another way to recognize individuals that are stepping out, challenging the processes, and thinking of ways that we could improve how we deliver our mission. It's the, it's the notion of taking the idea of the revolution and, and connecting it with the people that really have to make it happen. So I've handed out a few of those uh, those deputy stickers. I've got a few deputies throughout LRD. But but I made sure that my boss was the first one. He got the first deputy sticker so that, so that the, the sticker had meaning. So, and after I that, put it I on, the front of my, uh, on the front of my green book, like, right away. So, but it is catching on. And we have, it's interesting, as we do circulation throughout the division, we run into our great workforce, and uh, many of them will come up and say, hey, I'm an agent of the revolution. I'm on board. And, and I think it's really important because it's a cultural thing, and it's a mindset. Uh, it's about trying to find out, hey, am I allowed to do this? And if not, is that because of a regulation? Is that because of a policy? Or is that because of a law? And if it needs to change, how do I get it changed? And if we can get everyone thinking about that, from an operator of a lock and dam, you know, to our, our, our workforce at the GS-15 level on up across USACE, we'll really get there. And we've, we've learned a lot throughout this process, and we're excited about sharing a, a lot of this today. Hey, sir, and if I can add just some things on that, we're not looking for someone that actually had a successful change. We're rewarding people that had ideas that have either been turned down or rejected for some reason. Some For some reason, maybe it's legal, you can't do it, or whether it's policy, we can't do it. This is all about changing the culture. You've got to reward even people that come up with ideas that we don't accept, and that's what we've done with our agents of the revolution. We've actually given awards to people that have had great ideas that have been turned down because we're trying to get a positive image out there that we want you to think of good ideas. How do you do something different? And maybe we can do it, and maybe we can't. And if we can't, it's not a bad thing. Uh, but to get people to keep thinking of ideas, you've got to also reward those that may have ideas that were not successful, we were not able to carry out to fruition. But we are recognizing both positive and successful and unsuccessful ideas. Great, thank you. And so just piggybacking on that further, Mr. Direct, can you talk about some of the examples of actions that have been selected for this award? Some of them have been with the uh, supplemental program. We've gotten uh, Rebecca Bennett from our Huntington District had some ideas on how do we move a contract forward instead of letting some uh, relocations being done by the local sponsor. We have gotten permission to add them to our contract, which will shave six to nine months off that current schedule to get that project delivered and get it started sooner. So there's some examples of doing something that was done positively. On some stuff that were unsuccessful, we tried to do some real estate stuff, came from Amy Babby in our Louisville district, uh, an idea of how do we go do some uh, claims and some paperwork exercises on real estate acquisitions ahead of time. That, that was not necessarily approved by headquarters, 
because that's viewed as part of the uh, relocations of acquiring acquisition of real estate. Uh, we were viewing it as just paperwork, not necessarily actually buying the property. Uh, and we did not have a PPA in place, so we weren't allowed to do those activities. But it was a nice, it was a great idea. Could have saved us some time on that particular project as well. So those are two examples of a successful and an unsuccessful idea. And both those individuals have been rewarded with agents of the revolutions. That is just great that you're uh, not only uh, rewarding those that, you know, the idea has been successful, but those that really have the idea and due to some of the, you know, bureaucratic red tape that we have may not be able to execute it fully. So kudos to all of you for really stepping up and, and starting this Agents of the Revolution and starting that culture change. Um, it's a fantastic idea, and I know that the Revolutionized team is really supportive of that. And knowing you all, I know that there's probably no shortage of ideas at LRD, especially when it comes to revolutionizing. So what have you all been doing besides the Agents of the Revolution to um, revolutionize the way you guys are doing business at the division level? So one of the things that we're charged with when we change leadership in the division is, is doing a, a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And my first few months here in the Great Lakes and Ohio River Division, we traveled all over the LRD footprint, and I had Steve and Joe with me as we did that. And then uh, we went through this SWOT analysis, presented it to the district commanders, and presented it to the chief of engineers. And based on that, when you really took a look at the strengths and the opportunities and the threats and then, of course, weaknesses as well, we came up with our implementation plan, uh, our I plan. And we want to make sure it's synchronized with the USACE campaign plan, but our main emphasis was on some strategic actions that would be revolutionary. And I'll, I'm going to head over to Joe to just talk about a few of these, uh, but what we found is, is once we developed them and we started implementing them, and then when Joe Selman became chief of engineers and, and built his campaign plan and, and had his revolutionary initiatives, they were synced very well with them. And so we're just thrilled about that because we can run in, a, in the exact azimuth and direction he wants us uh, and speed that he wants us to because we're already pretty much there. So I'll go over to Joe. Hey, sure. Thanks. Yeah, uh, the, the I plan that we crafted based on, uh, you know, a look back that General Whittle mentioned as well as the, the battlefield circulation and a lot of consultation with the senior leaders in the region led us to a couple things that we focused on right away. Implementing adaptive human capital strategies, accelerating project delivery, maturing interoperability within the regional business center, exploiting our IIS opportunities, strengthening partnerships to solve water resource challenges, and using data for decision-making. There was a whole lot there, and so we didn't try to take on all of that right away. We really focused on the people part, the human capital strategy, accelerating project delivery, interoperability, and exploiting IIS opportunities. We focused there first. That was that, that senior leader conference that General Whittle mentioned last summer. Each of those initiatives and subordinate initiatives that we developed was led by either a district commander, a director, or a district deputy district engineer that assembled a team and uh, built, a, built a product that we could implement. We're ready to declare success on a lot of those and uh, are pivoting 
uh, our initiative back to refining our human capital strategy, particularly when it comes to the areas of diversity and inclusion, adapting our workplace uh, of the future. Uh, we think that that's going to be revolutionary in that human capital arena. We're also working really hard with the partnerships to solve water resource challenges and Great Lakes and Ohio River Division. It is a very mature uh, watershed uh, when it comes to water resource projects, but there's still a tremendous need for water resource solutions. We recognize that we've got to, we've got to strengthen our partnerships to be able to, to really get after some of those. And then lastly, the, the use of data for decision making. That's capturing lessons learned. It's incorporating those into our quality management system. It's, it's leveraging our world-class automated information systems and making sure that they stay world-class, really invested with the rest of the headquarters team to refine those. But perhaps even more than using them, it's taking all of the information that we're capturing in there, getting that in a meaningful way to decision makers so that we can make informed decisions in the future. When we talk about what we're doing at the, at the regional level to revolutionize, we're taking it really seriously through those, those six major areas. Hey, Joe, if I can just expand, and those are our formal processes we're tackling as part of our SLC. We're doing some informal ideas. The CAP delegations came down from headquarters, so we have delegated all those things to our seven districts for CAP authorities. Now the division's task is to write an SOP and to do validation. And my instructions to the staff, and we're still working this, is how do we incorporate the division oversight, the QA of our districts doing the, with the new CAP authority? How do we incorporate that without adding time? So how do we just lay on top of current processes of doing ATR and other activities that the district does as part of that action to where we are really not adding any time to that equation whatsoever for the for the division's validation of the district's new authority. So that's something we're in process of. By the end of February, we should have that wrapped up is what our final product's going to be. So there's actions we're doing that are formal, as Joe kind of went over as part of our SLC, and there's some informal things. We're just trying to tackle them as they come up from districts. I just want to mention a couple things as well about uh, the challenges you run into when you're making a cultural change. So bureaucracy, when, when you hear that word, it's generally associated with something that moves really slow and it's really difficult to get an action through a bureaucracy. When you take a look at the roots of that word, bureau means office and then crossy means power. So bureaucracy means office power. And the reason it's defined that way when it was first created was it was incredibly powerful, right? This is how governments first could institute things like a draft or find a way to feed thousands of people through this office power. And what's happened as bureaucracies have become bigger and bigger is they've become less efficient. So really, when you look at the revolution that we're trying to provide right now, we're trying to bring the word back to its original meaning. And so when Joe and Steve were just describing some of the changes we're making, some of the surprises, quite frankly, that we encountered was the districts, like they said, they have district commanders or DDEs in charge of these ideas. Uh, they come up with these great ideas, and we would be surprised sometimes by our own staff quickly coming to the microphone and saying, hey, here's why we can't do this. And not in any kind of, you know, bad way, it's just, that there's reasons we have all these processes in place. And so they're explaining what the reasons are, and we would just have to work really hard 
on both sides of that equation to get everyone to understand, wait a minute, there's still a way that we can do it better. And it's an important dialogue, right? And if you have the, the right command climate and it's open and transparent, you're gonna get all of that feedback and it's important. A lot of times what it boils down to though is someone kind of looks and says, wait a minute, that review, that's my job. What am I gonna do when that goes away? So it's important to explain to the workforce as well as changes are being made, how their jobs are gonna change and why they're still important. Great, thank you. And so, you know, this uh, past year has been a bit challenging. You talked about a couple of the key um, components of, of your revolutionary change are people and partnerships. And so wanted uh, to hear from you all and how you're really instigating the culture change through your organization when your workforce has probably been um, mostly virtual as well as your partners and not having those regular meetings and face-to-face -face interactions with your partners. So just wanted to hear a little bit about how you all are really pushing forward with this culture change in, in the complicated year we've had in the, the past year. I'll just start out and just say, every time you run into a challenge, right, there's a positive way to look at it, and then there's a kind of a negative way to look at it. And we've been work, just working really hard at the positive aspect of this and some of the advantages that these changes have given us. I'll go to the directors and they can give some examples even now, right, as we do this podcast, uh, we wouldn't have been able to make this happen from so many different locations a year ago. I mean, we've learned so much, and, uh, and so there's been some goodness. And, you know, I'll start out. I can let's go to uh, Steve Durrett first and then over to Joe, see what they would like to offer. Hey, thanks, sir. It's been difficult with COVID. We've not traveled as much as we normally have done, so getting out to the staff has been much more difficult to do but we're doing a lot more stuff virtually. I just finished speaking to an, our LDP3 class and I have spoken to one of our district's LDP2 class. And this is a topic that I bring up all the time is talking about the revolution, empowering people, trying to encourage them to take the initiative. So for me, I do it a lot with trying to just involve it in everyday meeting. I think the CG, when he's out traveling, I've heard him talk to the, whether it be a field office at a lock and dam that's under construction, or wherever he is, he's bringing the same topic up. We are mentioning it, it's staying at, the, at one of our talking points. Anytime we are, whether we're on a web at, webinar or whether we're happen to be lucky and out traveling one time. So that's some of the things I try to do to try to change the culture is to encourage the staff to do that. Not only at the working level, most of those LDPs, 12s and 13s, I also try to communicate when I talk to other senior leaders and, and they're calling and they're asking questions at a district about something. Uh, I always say, what would you do? If you if you get to make the decision, what would you do? Uh, and almost trying to get them to make the decision for themselves. And then it's a matter of just agreeing, hey, yeah, that sounds great, go do it. So those are the things that I kind of do to try to encourage the cultural change uh, in the division. Joe? I'm gonna stick with the theme of what's positive <laughs> that we've gotten from the experience, all right? And so I'll say this, first, I think that, that every person on the team has realized how valuable our interaction is and how precious our relationships are. And I think when we've got the ability to travel and meet together and be together in groups, we will not waste the opportunity to strengthen those relationships and the partnerships when we get the chance to do that. I don't know about the rest of you all, but when you had the, the moment, some of you had the chance to visit family, perhaps over the holidays or something like that, and all of a sudden it took on brand new significance because we couldn't do it the way we traditionally would. And so I hope that this causes us 
to value our relationships more. I think it has. I think the other thing it's caused us to do, this meeting is, is like the umpteenth scheduled web call that I've got today, right? How many of us have more scheduled because of intentional communication now because you have to? You know, we used to be able to walk down the hall and interact with people and feel like we were getting the kind of communication we were comfortable with. Now I think that every team is more intentional with our communication, and that can be a good thing. That means we, we may be having conversations with people that we weren't before because we were so informal with it, we perhaps were missing out on some of the communication and involvement with all of our PDT members. I think the third thing that this uh, has been positive with, because we've had to go virtual, we have changed some of our processes and probably included people that may not have otherwise been included in a conversation, whether that's a PDT or, or a review. This is going to allow us to uh, get to the fourth, fourth point, which is access talent in ways that we may not have accessed talent. I'm talking about first, you know, being able to reach across the core and pull in the experts so that we can, we can enrich our PDTs and get the best and brightest working on the most difficult challenges. I'm, I'm referring to this, this new thinking that, oh my goodness, I can access talent now, add to the diversity and inclusion of my workforce by being able to access people that I never would have thought because they didn't live right where I was hiring. And this change in our thinking uh, is going to allow the Corps of Engineers to have a whole new pool of professionals that are gonna be on the podcasts 30 years from now that may not otherwise ever be part of the Corps of Engineers. So I, I think it's going to be tremendous opportunity for us to add new talent in the generation to come. We couldn't agree more. You know, our team has been virtual since, you know, it started way back when. I guess we were virtual before school. We we uh, base our success on communication and actually trust and accountability. Uh, before Lauren and I started working, we never met face-to-face. -face. You know, we built that relationship virtually. And so I think, you know, the workforce is starting to do all that. So again, I think you guys are on the right track as far as, you know, we're concerned. And you're definitely setting the conditions uh, from a leadership point of view. And I think that that's fantastic. When it comes to a staff level, you know, let's talk there for a little bit. Some staff members may not feel empowered or, um, you know, a little nervous to step out of their comfort zone and really take that revolutionary change that happens. In, in your eyes, what can the staff do to promote culture change from where they sit in the organization? I guess I'll start with General Whittle. Okay. So the greatest thing we can do for our employees, you know, our, our great workforce, when it comes to encouraging them to uh, take an initiative and think of revolutionary changes. So when people don't want to step up and do something different, it's typically because they just don't want to get in any kind of trouble or something like that. And so we've got to be able to reward people. And Steve brought this up right at the beginning. We've got guys that are trying to make revolutionary changes and we'll still reward them for it even if the changes don't work. And so uh, to encourage people to really think out of the box, uh, do things differently, to try to change policy, change regulation, in some cases to really do something that maybe their supervisor doesn't think is a good idea so they elevate it, mesh on further, things like that, we've got to be able to underwrite uh, mistakes. As long as they're not ethical, we can underwrite them uh, and can allow people to continue to grow and prosper. 
So I'll go over to uh, Steve and Joe to see if they have anything to add. Hey, I, I think you uh, brought up one of the key points. This is revolution is really going to be all about believing, trusting, and encouraging people to just do it. And that's going to be the key to the key to the whole thing here is that you're going to have to trust people. Uh, and if something doesn't go right, that's fine. We can fix it. It's not a big deal. And that's going to be the key. Now, get, getting the staff level to actually do that, I think we're starting to see, at least I've seen some changes at the staff level where we're seeing a little more initiative, uh, which is good. But it's just slow because we got a lot of people that have been in the course. They've been in the core for 30 years. You've been pounded for 25 years that you just follow the rules. So getting everyone to kind of change their, their way of thinking and, and the attitude is, is going to be a slow, very slow process in happening. I think we're starting to see some changes in the core and in the, in the, at the staff level. I don't want to really say the core, but the staff is the core. So we're seeing some changes, and I believe we're starting to see some changes. It's going to be a matter of a few more years, and this, this should start – this should really start to set. It'll be set, and we'll be off on a, on a good track, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree, Steve. One of our Accelerate Project Delivery subtasks, that was one of our strategic initiatives this past year, uh, one of the subtasks was Empower PDTs. That was a, an initiative led by Mr. Dave Romano, the Deputy District Engineer out of the Buffalo District. What he was focused on is exactly what Steve just said. We're, we're talking about the GS11, 12, maybe a 13 PDT member that is operating at that staff level, and they're really the ones delivering the project on these PDTs and, and feeling empowered to make a decision, represent their functional community, to have clear communication within the PDT, which involves training and creating some social norms where folks feel like their ideas that are even perhaps challenging the status quo are welcomed, but also supporting the, you know, the direction of, of the decision maker at the appropriate level and then moving on. That second piece is really important too. We, we often find ourselves doing rework and review, which sometimes is code for second guessing. Uh, and that means after a decision has been made by an appropriate person, somebody tries to use some kind of appeal authority to, to review it and, and change that decision. And I know it's often done with the best of intentions, but it's really counterproductive from a project delivery standpoint because we've, we've got to have clear lines uh, for folks to operate in uh, and let PDTs that have the right kind of training and right kind of uh, competency make the decision and then and then move on so that we can uh, we can deliver that project uh, on time. I think that's what empowering PDTs is all about, and I think that's the target audience is that GS11, GS12 um, employee professional that's really in the trenches of the projects making it happen. Great, yeah. And so you know, it seems like you all are really trying to to push this throughout your organization and really shift the culture through this effort. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, I know that there have been a lot of other strategic initiatives and the core in the past, and curious how this revolutionized effort and your agents of the revolution effort is different than those in the past. You know, are you seeing more success in the approach you're taking here? And maybe what are some of the, the lessons that you all have learned as leaders in pushing forward with this initiative um, that you might want to share with, with other leadership across the agency? General Whittle, I'll start with you and whoever else wants to chime in. So I think the most important thing that, that every single person in the Corps of Engineers can do is take a look at their scope of responsibilities and the different tasks that they have on a, on a daily, monthly, monthly or, or yearly basis. 
and then go a step further and understand, you know, where those activities are rooted in regulation or policy and where they're rooted in law. So that if they want to make a change, they know where to go. Throughout uh, my career, I've, many times I've heard people say, well, we have to do that way because, we have to do it this way because of this law or this rule. And in the Corps of Engineers, more than any other organization, we have the power to, to change those things if they make sense, right? People come to us all the time and say, hey, you know, how can I help? How can I, you know, how can we do this differently? And, and we have to take up the opportunity when those things come along. The bottom line is, to put it succinctly, you have to know what you want to change within your own portfolio and, know, and then find out where the authority is to make that change and then move the request up high enough to make that authority say yes or no. Don't stop with the guy who doesn't have the, the power to say yes. Yeah, I, I would offer what makes this perhaps different from other strategic initiatives that I've observed, a couple things. One is right away there was uh, leadership emphasis at the highest echelons. The chief of engineers, General Spellman, has taken revolutionized civil works and has kept the Corps on that same asthma and, and has emphasized that now as the second chief of engineers to say, hey, we need to revolutionize how we deliver. Because the chief has adopted that, every single one of the MSCs, every, every one of Mr. Dret and I's peers, all of the senior leaders at, uh, at headquarters have a part to play in revolutionizing, and I think that they own that. Uh, number, number two is we're measuring it. We're looking at it. We're coming back and we're talking about it. My goodness, we've got a podcast talking about it. You know, we're not, we're not just paying it lip service that it's, you know, item 3B4 on, on a plan. It's something that we're actually looking at and, and measuring. Uh, and I think that the third thing, and I want to applaud this, is that there are times where we look at strategic initiatives and we think that it's going to be something that you can do in a few months or even a few, even a few years. Strategic initiatives like revolutionizing civil works, that is something that is a four, five, perhaps 10-year endeavor. And I think we've got to look at it this way. We didn't get to the place where we are, where we have the processes. We didn't get there overnight, and we're not going to change that overnight. Revolutionizing civil works doesn't mean you snap your fingers and it's done. And I think that the more leaders, you know, realize and have that kind of patience, strategic patience to know that it's a slow process because we're trying to change that culture that General Whittle mentioned, the better off we're going to be. And that's I'm really encouraged because that's what I'm seeing. I'm, I'm not seeing this disappointment from leaders just because it hasn't changed overnight. They realize it's really a, it's, it's a long game that we're playing here. And I would agree definitely with Joe. This is going to be a five or ten year initiative. Uh, and I was really excited when General Spellman was going to continue the revolution. And I think that really helped. Some of the things we have too many of our initiatives are one chief and done. Uh, type of scenario, and this is an enormous task, turning an organization like the Corps of Engineers to, to revolutionize its civil works delivery program is an enormous task, and there's no way you're getting that done in weeks, months, years. It'll be a decade getting it done. Uh, and I think the really thing that, to me, that strikes differently from this initiative than a lot of the other initiatives, being in the Corps for a really long time, longer than I care to remember, is that this is hitting all levels. This is hitting districts, this is hitting MSCs, this is hitting headquarters. Headquarters is going to have to go through a cultural change of what the people at headquarters do and how they respond to comments and so on and so forth. Just like the people at the MSC 
the staff at the MSC has got to change how they look at things. This is not about making a comment and saying, no, that's not right, sending it back. This is about making a comment, teaching, learning, and changing how we do things. And this is a mindset change in how we deliver and how we do business. And this is not going to happen overnight. So I think the real change to me on this initiative is really that it really is actually hitting at all three locations. The district where the rubber hit meets the road and the things get done. The MSCs need to be there to help serve and support the districts and headquarters needs to help serve and support the MSCs not the other way around where the districts serve and support MSCs, MSCs serve and support the headquarters. This is like turning everything upside down. Uh, and that's what I think I see so far in this, this new initiative about revolutionizing USACE. And Mr. Durrett, we'll just um, piggyback off on that a little bit. You know, so, so thinking about the future and that this initiative really does need a, a longer time horizon to really see the benefits. Um, what do you see as the future of the revolutionized initiative within LRD? Uh, well, I think the ideal solution to me, and this is maybe a lot of uh, theoretical, but uh, to me the ideal solution is we have districts that make a lot of decisions and the division office is in a site of doing some quality assurance and then when we find that somebody may have been a little bit off base, we don't slap them on the hand. We talk to them, we understand what the rationale behind it, and we learn from what the new rationale is going to be, and they learn from that. Uh, it's almost like a lesson learned process. Uh, that would be the ideal solution. Now, we're not going to be able to get there all the way across the board because some things, you know, USAID covers an entire country. This country is enormous. And how we do things on the West Coast and SPD may not be exactly the same thing, same way we do things in LRD or in NAD. And I think what you say needs to learn is that's okay, because the country is different. Not that anybody's going to be drastically different than anybody else, but this is not a one-size shoe that is going to fit every region and every district across the Corps of Engineers. And I think many of our policies are that way. Our policies are very well written, uh, and they, we need to allow people to have some flexibility to adjust them slightly to apply them to the region at which they're serving. Uh, and that's where the authority, I think we're moving in that direction, and I think that's where we really need to be. So some of that flexibility, along with that trust and believing uh, that you hire the right leaders that are going to make the right decisions, uh, is going to be the ideal situation and what that future state will look like. Yeah, and if I could, if I could pile on there, I agree with Mr. Durrett. I That future state that he envisioned there with decision-making at the lowest level, occurs when you've got empowered leaders that uh, have the competency and are exercising the kind of judgment that we expect of the professionals within a technical organization like ours. If it's an engineering decision, those engineering folks uh, have the competency to make those kind of decisions. If it's an acquisition decision, you know, this, whether it's, you know, our, our folks in contracting or our project management professionals or our construction folks out in the field uh, administering contracts, exercising the kind of judgment that we expect them to make those lowest levels. So the role that the MSC has there uh, is to really invest in our people, to make sure that, that we've got all the kind of technical training so that we really, we really do have the best. We have that world-class uh, workforce that our, that our leaders have got the kind of training uh, support they need. So our supervisors, uh, learn how to be world-class supervisors and really uh, help uh, individuals and teams uh, maximize their contributions. 
we're nearing the end of our time together. Uh, so before we, we kind of depart ways, we do want to open the floor to all of you for closing remarks. So, Joe, do you have any closing remarks? I just really appreciate you all uh, asking us. This is really it's, it's flattering to be asked. I, I'm so impressed with this uh, this organization, and, and I feel really blessed to be part of the Corps of Engineers. When I when I talk to my peers, you know, various meetings, I'm just amazed at the wonderful ideas and initiatives uh, that are being worked on in in different uh, MSCs and these district leaders that are approaching problems with just a tremendous amount of passion and, and excitement to find new ways of delivering them. I genuinely feel like we are on the right track, headed in the right direction. Despite some of the challenges in the operating environment that we've worked through this past year, I genuinely feel like wonderful things uh, are coming for the Corps of Engineers, uh, excuse me, the Corps of Engineers because of, uh, because of the wonderful leaders that are challenging the status quo and taking to heart this, uh, this concept of revolutionizing our delivery. Thanks. Yeah, I want to thank you very much for allowing us to do this. It's been very interesting. I appreciate it. I think there's a lot of work to be done at the Corps of Engineers. Uh, it's a great organization. I can honestly say I've never dreaded going to work one day in my entire career. I've just always enjoyed coming to work. This is a great place to work, and uh, we're going to make it a better place to work with the revolution. Thank you. Okay, so uh, just a couple comments, and uh, you know, my last comment is just to mention what it takes to be an agent of the revolution, right? And because we are all agents of the revolution, right? We're all deputized, I think, across usage. And you've got to be open-minded. You've got to be adaptive. You've definitely got to be a good listener. You've got to be able to embrace change, and you've got to be able to take initiative. Uh, and I'm confident that you know, all 30-some thousand of us can do that. You know, I would like to mention, I, you've heard from Joe and Steve today, I, I'm blessed with two, you know, fantastic directors. I, I really feel like I have the best job in the Army. We've got seven great district commanders and DDEs, a great staff at LRD, wonderful people across the district, this incredible workforce. And I, I hope that the two of you get to travel in our footprint. You're welcome anytime. Uh, just let us know, and uh, you know, bring me in here, and you can you can check some things out. Um, I'd like to thank uh, Jackie Tate and Kyler Davis, our public affairs team here at LRD, for uh, you know assisting you and putting this together. And thank you, uh, Angela and Warren, for for having us today. It's been a privilege. Great, thank you, sir. And yes, we definitely look forward to taking you up on the offer and and meeting some of those agents um, in your division. I I think your four components of of being an agent of the revolution are key, and we hope our listeners can uh, can take those to heart and that we all become deputized, right? We'll, we'll, I don't know if we have the budget for all 30,000 members of the Corps to get stickers, but we'll, uh, we'll see what we can do. But really, thank you all again for joining us. Thank you, Major General Will, Mr. Durrett, and Mr. Savage for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We really do appreciate you and your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you. What topics are important to you and people you are interested in hearing from? Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.